0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcome Sermon Podcast. I'm Ryan, the Media Guy, and I want to say Happy New Year to you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Richard Elwell. What I'd like to begin this morning with is this. Uh, you know, why do we do what we do? Wh- why do we do what we do? Where does behavior come from? You know, where does good behavior come from? Or where does evil behavior come from? For the most part, it seems like uh, most of our studies of human behavior are really based on the idea of trying to study where evil human behavior or where negative human behavior comes from. Uh, We don't often think about where does good behavior come from, and that's what we're going to be focusing in on this morning. Where where does good behavior come from? You know, there's different theories about behavior. Uh, The main theories about behavior, I I can just categorize in, in three uh, categories. There's first the, the Freudian idea of behavior where, where Freud uh, and others who think like him explain that we do what we do uh, because of what's happened to us. Uh, what causes us to behave is a reaction to uh, our life's experience. Uh, for example, if you were in uh, Freudian psychotherapy and you were trying to understand why you do evil things, it would be a quest to understand what had happened to you, i.e. childhood trauma, or so forth. A more popular approach to human behavior, one that's gaining popularity, really overtaking Freudianism in this day, is the idea of reductionism, that we are chemical machines. And that idea is that we do what we do because of the chemical compositions in our brain. And if you want to explain... Uh, us doing something wrong, it must be because there's an imbalance in our brain uh, chemi- chemically. You know The irony of that is is that you know, historically, when Freud first started his uh, work, he was an intern to a man named Burke, who was a reductionist, and he rejected that reductionist idea uh, in favor of his um, psychotherapeutic model, and now the very thing that he rejected is uh, what is overcoming his uh, point of view you've been here for any length of time, you know that I don't agree with either of those models. I tend towards, not tend towards, I plant myself on Mark chapter 7, where it talks about why we do what we do from the standpoint of who we are, that Christ says it's not that which comes uh, into us from the outside that, uh, that causes us to do what we do. It's that which comes from within us, out of our hearts. If you want to explain behavior, you have to understand the human heart. It's that what proceeds from the inside coming out. You know, the simplest way I can uh, put the biblical point of view of human behavior is that we do what we do because we want to. Don't need a PhD to understand that. Why do we do what we do? Well, that becomes the question from a biblical point of view is why do we want what we want? Why do we want what we want? And can we change? Can we change what we want? Can we change what we do? What do our actions reveal about us? What can we know about ourselves when we just look at how we behave? Is our behavior a window to our soul? This past week, you may have seen it in the news, there was a Florida man named uh, John Eckberg. He was arrested uh, when the police found uh, a cache of illegal weapons at his house, which included these vials of this biotoxin ricin that they're very concerned about, you know, In relationship to bioterrorism. And um, you know what his mom said about him? This is a classic. You've heard it over and over again, probably. What do you think his mom said about him? He's a good boy. You know, she said, uh, uh, my son is not a bad boy. She went on to say, he's just made some bad decisions. (laughs) The question I want to challenge you with this morning is, can we separate what we do from who we are. Can we separate what we do with who we, from who we are? How can we change what we do by changing who we are? Today, as we continue in our series uh, entitled The Abundant Life, looking at the benefits of our life in Christ, uh, we're going to be looking at why we do what we do. And we're going to be particularly focusing this morning on good behavior, why we do good things. Where is the genesis of good behavior? What causes us to do good? What causes us to obey Christ? What, what is the result of our obedience to Christ? Can we live a good life without being good? Can we be good without doing good? How can we change what we do by changing who we are? Those are some questions I'd like you to ponder this morning. As we look at uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, the title of the message this morning is Love and Action. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word this morning, Father, I just would pray, Lord, that we would see that our hope is in Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we would see that what changes us from the inside out is what is residing in us, Lord. And Lord, what resides in us is what we love. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would increase our affection of your son, Jesus Christ today, changing everything in our lives as a consequence. Lord, your life is our life and real life is in you. And we just pray, Lord, that as we pursue you, we pursue the abundant life in you, that we would experience the fullness of all that you desire for us and your love for us to have. Lord, let us not live as the dead, but let us live as the living. Let us live even in a fallen world, enjoying life and enjoying you. We pray that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning and may it change us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. John 14, beginning at verse 15, and says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Word cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Two weeks ago, uh, we began this series with this concept that faith is the doorway into life. We saw that uh, we enter into life, the life that Christ has for us, the abundant life, uh, through the portal of believing that he is Christ, the Son of God. And last week, we saw that love really is the essence of life. It's the essence of the new life that we have in Christ. And this week, the theme this morning is... uh, What we love is what we obey. What we love is what we obey. And let me go back to that chart, that progression of belief. This is a a simplified version of the progression of belief chart that you'd find in SOS 1. But it goes like this. Everything starts with what we put our faith in. We believe in what we think will benefit us. That's just what we put. That's what we'll put our faith in. Uh, But number two is that we love what we believe. We'll put our affection on that which we've trusted ourselves to. And number three is that we will obey what we love. We will automatically obey that which we have our affections on. And ultimately, our life will be a result of who or what we obey. Look at verses uh, 15 and verse uh, 23 and 24. It says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then verses 23 through 24 says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my, my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. If we love Christ, obedience is a natural consequence. It's not a struggle to obey what you love. If we obey Christ, if we don't obey Christ, obedience becomes impossible. Obedience, you see, is our love in action. If you want to know what we love, just look at what you do. And that's your love in action. That's what obedience is. We do what we do because uh, of what we love, because it's what we want to do. If we truly love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, which is, of course, the first commandment, that's a big if, you know, uh, it's an if I've never uh, realized. But if we did love God with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our strength, that Everything in us had nothing but love for the Lord. How could you ever do anything wrong? All your behavior would be born out of a passion for what's right and good. Our deeds would all be righteous if we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. What we do is a window to who we are. Who we are is the result of who or what we love. Who or what we love is a result of what we put our faith in, what we believe. That's kind of the progression of belief backwards there. We change our behavior. Our behavior changes when what we love changes. When what we love changes, when what we put our faith in changes. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, the the word for repentance, the Greek word for repentance is metanoio. Meta, a change, noio, mind. We change our mind. We change what we put our mind in. Our conversion is like a change of faith. We change what we put our trust in. Everything changes when we change what we trust in because when we change what we put our faith in, then uh, what we love changes. And when we, what we love changes, then what we do changes. I ever try to do what is right without loving what is right? That's when we get frustrated and when it seems impossible. We can't just try to change what we do. If we just try to change what we do without first changing what we believe and what we love, uh, we'll just be frustrated. Have you ever thought, I can't live the Christian life. It's just way too hard. Yeah, it is. It's impossible. It's impossible. Anyone who's ever tried to live the Christian life knows it's impossible. If our love doesn't change. When we fall in love with Jesus... Obedience is the natural consequence. We don't even know we're obeying because we're doing what we want. You know, we're so used to in a fallen world thinking that doing what we want is disobedient. But when we're, when we're in love with Christ, we're doing what we want, and what we want is what we ought. When Christ isn't the object of our love, we can't obey him. We just cannot obey him. We can't force ourselves to do what is right if it's not what we want to do. Um, we serve whatever we love. We aren't changed by what we do, we're changed by what we love. Which of the following two statements would you agree with? Think about these two, because really, you could define the difference between great world religions with these two statements. Which of these two statements do you agree with? If I do good, I will become good, statement number one. If I do good, then I'll become good. Think about that for a second. Do you agree with that? Or do you agree with statement number two, which is, if I become good, then I'll do good. You catch the difference there. Uh, one of my favorite people to listen to is Dennis Prager. He's a Jewish talk show host, and he captured the difference between Christianity and Judaism most succinctly. And he said, Jews believe that if you do good, then you'll become good. Christians believe that if you become good, then you'll do good. And uh, that's the that's the message of the gospel that. Christ changes us from the inside out so that what we want changes. As we put our affections on him, we become good. And then out of that, we'll become a fountain of obedience, uh, of obedience, which God inhabits and blesses. We become like what we love to change who we are. We must change what we love. Changing what we love changes what we want. Changing what we want changes what we do. You know, the testimony of, of all Christians is that Jesus changed my life. Isn't that the testimony? I heard the president say it the other day. Jesus changed my life. Well, what do we mean by that? You know, what would I be like if I hadn't come to Christ? I think the Budweiser uh, industry would be happier about things if I hadn't come to Christ. Uh, you know, what, how, what, what changed me? What changed my behavior? What changes you? What changes your behavior? When we come to Christ and we're filled with Christ, we change what we do, not because we're in a, in a New Year's resolution tension to have to do it, but because uh, we are transformed from the inside out. You know, the Old Covenant, it's interesting to look at the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Both of them have the goal of righteous behavior. The Old Covenant are the laws or the rules of God written on stones outside of man, and it, the New Covenant talks about how, and the New Testament talks about how the law proved to be powerless. Just having a bunch of rules outside of you uh, are powerless to get you to do what's right. Even if you look at them and go, yep, that I should do that, that I should do, that I should do, but I don't really want to do it. It proved The law proved to be powerless to change men. But the new covenant was a covenant in which Christ said, I'll come and live in you and write my laws on your heart. I'll change what you want from the inside out. The new covenant is a covenant where the love of Christ dwells in us, writing his laws, not on tablets external to us, but actually writing his laws on our hearts. Why do Christians still sin? Why do I still sin? I should ask the question. Why would I still do things that are selfish that might hurt people or dishonor or displease God? Well, it's because I still have um, affections within me that aren't uh, God-centered. And um, I I still have some affections on something that leads to folly. Our behavior is always born out of what we want to do. And what we want to do any given moment if you want to know why you're doing what you're doing at any given moment it's cuz where's where you're placing your affection you know we could be walking with Christ 95% of the time and loving Christ and then for for some reason we decide to take our eyes off of him and just go you know I really want that and you know that takes you where that takes you theme this morning again is what we love is what we obey And point number one is this. He who loves Christ is loved by Christ. Take a look at verses 21 and 22. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? God is responsive. In a special way, to those who love and obey him, Christ shows himself to those who love him. Now think about this question that Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other disciple Judas, asked. He's thinking, Lord, uh, look, I know you, we know you. Why don't you just display your glory and show yourself to the whole world? Why don't you just boom? Explode out of here, you know, let's, let's ride this train all the way together to just show the world that you're right and they're wrong and just to demonstrate yourself to the world. Christ doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. He's God. In fact, I don't even think he wants to prove himself to people who don't want to be proven by him, you know, to have him prove themselves to him. He wants to prove himself. He wants to show himself to those who love and obey him. He, he doesn't need what we need. He doesn't need the whole world to know him. He just wants those who love him to know him. And he shows himself to those who open themselves up to him. He loves us by revealing himself to us as we love and obey him. We don't want to see him. We don't want to know him. He doesn't force himself on us. Think about it ourselves. But who do we show ourselves to? Who do we reveal ourselves to? We're like that, too. We don't just show ourselves to everybody. Imagine somebody came up to you um, after service that you'd never met before. And he started asking you all kinds of personal questions. Want to know everything about you. You'd think, man, you don't have the right to ask those questions. I don't know you well enough to tell you those things. I feel uncomfortable exposing myself to you. I don't know whether I trust you. Um, I, in fact, I don't even know you. Why would you ask me those things? You see, God is personal. God just reveals his beauty to anyone. He, God doesn't just reveal his beauty to anyone. He just doesn't show himself. To, he just doesn't lay himself out on the street for everyone to see. We see him as we love and obey him. He reveals himself to us as we are responsive to him. To those who love him and obey him, he reveals his beauty. You know, think about that as parents. You know, how are we affected by the attitudes of our children and their obedience or disobedience? (laughs) Think about how God is affected by us and how responsive he is to us by our obedience or disobedience. we want to see God's good side. We need to love and obey him. We need to first trust him, then love him, then obey him. And then we see his beauty. His heart is softened towards us as we love and therefore obey him. He wants to pour himself out into us as he becomes the object of our love. What is the problem? You know, what is the problem with us? Is there any object, uh, in a, a per, I mean, I say object, it's not an inanimate object, he's personal, but is there anything in all the universe that is more worthy of our affection than God who is perfect in every way? Who, who loves us so dramatically that he sent his own son to die in our place? Is there any object in all the universe that is worthy, more worthy than our love and our affection, uh, than our belief and our trust than the God who created us, who sustains us, who died for us, who is our provision and, our, and is our hope and is our promise? What, what is wrong with us? You know, what is wrong with mankind that we uh, would have a struggle loving what is pure and beautiful, right and true, loving what is the key to life? You know, why would we as people be attached to or even attracted to evil. Why do we experience affection towards darkness and resistance towards the light? You know, to understand human behavior, we need to understand uh, the doctrine of the fallen nature of man, which is very much out of vogue in the 21st century. But you can't understand anything or why anybody does anything unless you understand the biblical revelation that man is fallen. We're less than what we ought to be. We've rebelled against God and and we've placed our affection on that, which hurts us rather than helps us. Bible teaches that man is fallen and sinful and corrupt by nature. And yet God still loved us and solved that problem for us. If we want it to be solved through his mercy and through the, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, he's given us eternal life for 2000 years, men, women, and children have keep coming to new life, and loving Christ just in the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. Why should we live in, in, in the 21st century and love somebody who hasn't been here physically for 2,000 years? That's the call of the Bible, to love Christ and to find your life in Christ. But we love him because he's still alive, because of the resurrection, and because of his life in us, and because he's shown himself to us, and he's proved his mercy as we Uh, humbly seek him and he relieves us of the guilt of our sins. We realize that Jesus gave his life and saved us from the penalty of our sin. And we realize today, right now, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to reside in us, to deliver us from the very power of sin itself. The power of loving evil is broken as we fellowship with Christ. And we're led by him away from that which destroys us and into that which benefits us. And that as we live with Christ in us, we are being made ready to live with him forever in glory. What we love is what we obey. Point number one is he who loves Christ is loved by Christ. And point number two is Christ's spirit lives in those he loves. Let's take a look at 15 through 20 and verse 23. 15 through 20 again. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now now look at the word counselor there. Uh, In some translations, it's comforter. The word in Greek is paraclete. We'll talk about that in a second. The world cannot accept him, cannot accept the paraclete or cannot accept the counselor because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize that I am in the father and that you are in me and I am in you. And then verse 23 says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. And we, my father and I, We will come to him. Not only will they come to us, but they will make their home with us and and make our home with him. The living Christ in us, the father and the son making their home in us, the the spirit, the paraclete, the counselor being sent to us to live in us, the spirit of truth, the eternal spirit of truth is sent to us that we might experience the living Christ now as real as he was, on the day of Pentecost, real as he was on the day of his crucifixion, real as he was on the day that he walked the streets and taught. He is real with us. We see him because he's with us and in us. Though the whole world may not see him, he's as real to us today as he was 2,000 years ago. We don't love some old historical figure. We love the current risen Christ, the paraclete. Now, the word paraclete is far more than, means far more than comforter or counselor. The word Paraclete is one who who, um, brings aid to another in a time of trouble, particularly it's used in the Greek as a legal counselor, one who comes and brings a legal remedy to those who are under a legal burden. We are under the sentence of death as sinners, and Christ as our counselor comes. And what does a legal counselor do? He does two things. He first explains your legal peril, and then he brings a legal remedy, best legal remedy. And Christ does both of those. He comes convicting the world of sin, getting us to see that in our condition, in our fallen condition, we are apart from God forever. We have a death sentence on us. And then he brings the legal remedy for that death sentence, which is his very own sacrifice on the cross. He, He having substitutionarily, Paid the penalty for us. So our paraclete comes and he brings help to us in time of need. Uh, God sent his spirit to be with us, to live in us. For those who love him, to bring aid to us, defending our case and absolving our guilt. He brings joy out of our sorrow. He brings peace out of our troubles. He brings wisdom in our darkness. He brings strength in our weakness and he brings victory in our defeat. That worthy of love? Is that worthy of putting our trust in him? Is it? The spirit of Christ living in us is God's ultimate prize. It is life's ultimate prize. There's nothing better. What could be better? You know, think about it. When we strip everything away and we ask ourselves, what gives our life quality? When we strip all the other factors away and just ask ourselves, what makes a good life good? 99.9% of it is the people around us and ourselves. If we're we're, uh, in an impoverished condition or if we're in an affluent condition, the thing that matters the most are we enjoying the people around us, or the people around us enjoying us, and are we enjoying fellowship with each other? The greatest reward is a relationship with the good, the the best, the good and, and glorious God. That's what makes life good, is being with the good shepherd. Is he, or, you know, it, just think about this for a second, is who or what I love, what I want to become like? Is that what I want my character to become like? Is what I'm putting my affections on what I really want to be my shepherd? Do I want to be led by what I'm loving? What we want to become, with, become like will be reflected by what we put our affections on. If we increase in our love of Christ, we will experience an increase in his glory in us, his life-changing power, and his influence in our life. God is good. His holy presence in our life is life-changing. It changes us from the inside out. It brings us out of death and into life, a life that does not begin with doing good. Our life in Christ does not begin with good works. It doesn't begin by doing something meritorious. It begins by putting our faith in Christ. We can try to live the Christian life all we want, and we will fail day after day after day. The only way to succeed in in, in the Christian life is to take the upward walk, starting with faith, preceded by love, and out of love, uh, being changed by Christ, and then doing what we want. Uh, Our our deeds are not um, what saves us, but they are a measure of our salvation. They do show us our progress. Um, Ephesians talks about, you know, not being saved by, um, works, but by grace. But then it goes on to say, we're saved unto good works. Works is the fruit of a life that loves God. We can't love God by doing good, but if we love God, we will do good. We will be frustrated if we try to be good, but one thing, the one thing that we can do is we can put our trust in Jesus. We can ask him to come into our lives and we can ask him every day to live in us. We can open our hearts to him and and have him pour his transforming spirit through us. We can read his word. We can study his ways. We can understand him. We can fall in love with him. That's what we can do. And as we do that, he comes and lives in us. And as he lives in us, he changes us. And what we do changes. What we love is what we obey. Point number one, he, he who loves Christ is loved by Christ. And point number two, Christ's spirit lives in those he loves. I'd like to just conclude this morning by just looking at verse 19 again. Think about this for a second. Before, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. The world will not see me. What is he talking about there? The world will not have a perception of me. They won't see me. They'll be ignorant of me. But you will see me because I will be living in you. And because I live and because I'm eternal, my eternal life will be planted in you and you will live forever. Once the seed of God's eternal life is in our hearts, it will never perish Therefore, we will never perish. And once Christ is in our hearts, he does not leave. He, he does not leave. He, he doesn't sit, pick, pick up and go, oh, that's it. I've had enough. This, was the last, this is the last straw. It, you know, once he's living in us, it's his mess to clean up. If we really opened our hearts to Christ and humbled ourselves before him, you know, he. Uh, will remain loyal to us to the very end. He who began a good work in us will, will, will con- continue to work in us until the day of completion. Now we can, we, can, uh, we can certainly hinder his work by looking here and looking there and looking everywhere, everywhere but what's right. And why would we want to do that? It's a lousy life anyway. But we can be faithful that Christ who died for us is not picking up his toys and going home. He's, 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 he's dedicated to to taking us through all the way through. Ready for change? You're ready for change? Then let's look up again and, and put our trust where it belongs. That's what we do. And as we put our trust where it belongs, our affections follow. And where our affections follow, our deeds also follow. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcomes Sermon Podcast. And if you haven't yet, go to ultimateoutcomes.org. Click on the Bible Studies tab and go to Jesus the Living Word. The purpose of this study is to help Christians gain greater understanding, knowledge, and appreciation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of growing in our knowledge of Christ, we gain more of what we need for life and for godliness. Jesus is a revelation of everything we need. The first 18 verses of John chapter one will be a primary focus of this study and you'll be glad you checked it out. So go check out Jesus the living word and have a blessed day.